Hey, ever wanted a t-shirt featuring Bob Roll riding an ostrich? I mean, who hasn't, right? To celebrate the 2019 edition of the Tour de France, Road ID has re-released their Bob Roll-inspired Let's Ride t-shirt that was a cult favorite when it was initially released in 2012. These classy gems are only available in very limited quantities. So if you like Bob or even ostriches, you better hurry over to roadid.com slash B-O-B before they're gone. Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher, Coach Bobby Julik and Outskirts visionary Gus Morton invite you to put your socks on. From insightful analysis into our sport's most iconic races and racers to entertaining, educational, and actionable advice, Fizzo is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of bike racing. Be prepared to put your socks on. Welcome back to Put Your Socks On. I'm Bobby Julik, and as always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Gus Morton. Today, we're talking about stage 14 of the 2019 Tour de France from Tarbes to the Col de Tourmalet, 117.5 kilometers. Hey, Gus, happy Columbia National Day. Bobby, thanks very much. Uh, I saw there was quite a few Colombian flags out there in force today. Uh, maybe not a day to celebrate at the Tour de France for the Colombian riders as such, but no doubt a great day to, uh, to, to be on the roadside. That's side. for sure. And it wouldn't be the Tour if we didn't have a greve or a protest, right? We had one today and it actually forced the race to be postponed for another, what, plus or minus six kilometers than, than normal from kilometer zero. So yeah, the race was a little bit shorter yeah. and then that first climb was a little bit closer to when they actually started so there you go vive la france exactly i'm surprised there's been quite a few protests uh, going on in and around france over the last eight or nine months so i'm surprised it took took this long for it to impact on the race but you know i feel like it's part of the race nowadays and a bit of tradition before we get into the show it's the theme of the day is uh the difference between being a team leader or general classification rider and a domestique and what those roles entail uh, it's going to be a great show, Bobby. You've got a, a lot of experience from both sides of that, um, both sides of those roles. So we're looking forward to hearing for for that. Uh, wanted to say thank you to all the fans thus far. Again, we're uh, at the top of the leaderboard on uh, Tour de France podcast. So thank you very much for that. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at superfan at velonews.com or reach Bobby or myself uh, on Instagram or at bobby.julik and myself at thatisgus. Before we get on, should we hear our daily dose? All right, it's time for today's daily dose of Road ID Tour Trivia. To play, head on over to roadid.com slash TDF. Today's question, and everyone better get this one. At a mere eight seconds, who owns the smallest margin of victory of any tour champion? Go to roadid.com slash TDF to answer this question and score a chance to win today's daily prize, which is a pair of CD shot cycling shoes. One lucky winner will even take home a $10,000 BMC shopping spree. Again, that's roadid.com slash TDF. Bobby, what a stage today. Tarbes to the Col de Tourmalet. It was 117.5K. It was... On from the gun, and uh, there was yeah, we we there was there was no there was no place to hide, 
at all today, uh, was there? No, not at all. Guys looked nervous at the start today. Com- combining with that that protest, I think there wasn't much talking going on at the start today. They knew they were in for, for a big one. Um, these short stages have the riders on point and nervous, and that was evident today. The pace was just on from the start. It was pretty cool to see Sagan and Nibali the first to get away, and then they were joined yeah. by a much bigger group with uh, 17 guys actually set, settling in there. But they were kept on a short leash by uh, Decoinic Quickstep and FTJ, which were, you know, they finished first and second on the stage. So they, they had a plan, and they executed that plan very, very well. Uh, today we had a one cat four, one cat one, and a horse category. So the first climb was won by Nibali. The second climb, the Col de Salour, that's where things started to heat up. Movistar started a, a pretty hard tempo about halfway up. Bardet was mm. dropped immediately, a uh, nightmare stage for him. Simon Yates and Quia Kowski were, were not very good at all. They were dropped and distanced 4K from the top. Uh, so was Adam Yates. That was a big surprise. Conrad. But yeah. luckily, those guys had some teammates, and they were able to catch back on the descent. The sprint was um, actually, because it was after the Sulor, the the guys that went for the KOM points on the Sulor actually uh, took that sprint. And yeah, Wellens was the uh, the winner of the KOM points on, on top of the Sulor, uh, right in front of Nibali. It looked like Nibali was going to give him a little sprint there, but then thought, thought otherwise. So yeah, going down the... The, uh, the valley there, you know, we saw notable attacks. Um, I'd have to say total shout out to a rider from one of the wildcard teams, El Jeber, from the Arkea Samsic mm, team. He had an incredible ride Yeah, that today. team was on it. I mean, they were doing, doing what they could do, especially with Barguet uh, attacking there towards the end. But yeah, once you got on yeah. to the Tourmalet, it was a very elite of climbers. It was a very steady pace. And... Man, I really have to question what Movistar's plan is because they're up on the front drilling it, and Quintana was actually getting dropped. So you got to wonder what the communication there is, as well as the fact that we've heard that maybe he's switching teams next year. But it seems like very often Movistar seems to shoot themselves in the foot with uh, tactics in, in the Tour de France. Yeah, that was a big surprise. Like, and it's not the first time I've seen that, a team pulling on the front whilst their leader is uh, in difficulty at the back, um, this Tour de France. But where's the communication there? You know, they rode for a good portion of the stage today. Surely Quintana knew that he wasn't feeling super great and was, you know, maybe told him to pull a log off the fire or something. But uh, nonetheless, that's what happened. He was ridden out the back quite a way to go. And that wasn't the first surprise either of the, of, of the stage. We saw um, a lot of guys, guys who suffered yesterday, Richie Port. Well, Richie Port had a good ride yesterday, but uh, Dan Martin, sorry, getting distanced, Richie Port. Few, few of the big names really started to come apart pretty early on that final climb. Yeah, it all really started to come apart when uh, Barguil attacked. He was the, the first guy to go. Went not with a, a super move, but he definitely upped the pace there. That was what prompted FDJ to take over with uh, David Godou. Young rider, mm. um, tapping out an amazing rhythm, dr- putting a lot of the big GC hopefuls in, in the Hurt Locker. Uh, Port was dropped at 5K to go. Moss came off. You know, Poles, uh, you know, left 
left very early again, leaving leaving the Ineos uh, co-leaders kind of um, isolated a little bit too early. But yeah, Goudot and then um, Jumbo Visma. You know, they've had such an amazing tour, and we've talked about their four stage wins. And I question, you know, the 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 support that they would have in the mountains. Did they did they weight the the team selection more towards the sprint finishes, but man, when you have three guys in a select group of what eleven at that time, man, you're you're covering yeah. all your bases. So, what what a what a Tour de France that team is having. But then, yeah, they're yeah, towards they really the top. Um, you know, when Deplus and Bennett took over, put Fuglesong, Oran, Barguil, all kind of off on the back foot with with two K to go. And uh, then Bokman attacked, and it looked like he was going to, you know, maybe have a little bit of leash, but they, they closed down that pretty quick with Bernal. And then the big surprise for me was Thomas started suffering with about a K to go, wound up losing, what, 36 seconds or, or, or whatnot. But, man, it was—I I have to eat, eat my hat. I have to eat some crow here. I really thought that um, our boy Philippe would really suffer today, but he's right up there defending that jersey with absolute class. And man, oh man, mm. every day closer to Paris is is a day him closer to surprising the world, surprising himself. You know, in the end, it was Pinot, and I'll take a bow because I, I picked him today. I thought he would have gone a little bit earlier yeah. when Godot pulled off. I thought he would just counter right away, but, you know, it was just such a high pace all day long. I don't think anybody had much snap in the leg. You know, when you see a race-winning attack in slow motion like like Pinot did, you just know that everyone was on their limit. And at altitude, that's a, that's a big thing. You don't have that normal snap. And to go back and talk to those guys that were, talk about those guys that, that came off in that last K or two, they had to be really smart because at that altitude, if you stay on the back of that group, and push yourself even 20 or 30 seconds too long and not just go into your survival mode, your, your, your pace, you can wind up blowing up and losing a lot more time. So, you know, Garrett definitely suffered today, but at least he limited his losses as much as he could. Yeah, and you notice that with Iran, Iran let himself or let the group go maybe a K earlier than Thomas did, but wound up overtaking Thomas and uh and finishing in front of him so that's a, a perfect example right where you know you got to make sure at that altitude you ride within yourself what i really loved about today's stage is that again it's blown the race open thomas isn't quite as strong in the high mountains as you know he demonstrated on stage six and then yesterday again showing that he's not you know that he's, he's handling the load pretty well so that's kind of opening it up we're seeing uh, Bachman having a really good ride. We're seeing, you know, Iran still hanging around there. Bagui was good. So, you know, and then, of course, Kreiswick, Pinot took some time back today. And obviously, Alaphilippe just constantly, you know, everything he does is, is, is exceeding everyone's expectations right now. So it's really opened the tour up again. And it's just going to ensure that the, the next week of racing is, is going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So every day you have to, to go to war. And there's going to be the winners and losers, but you got to keep fighting on because the next day it could be you losing time. It could be you gaining time. So absolutely. And, and the real standout for me, um, interesting development is just Kreuzwick, not only, you know, already on the podium, but looking like he's going to be able to protect that place, if not move up. So yeah, great, great mountain stage of the tour. And um, yeah, 
it's kind of hard to pick out that, you know, moment of the stage for me. So I'd have to just give that to the overall pace the whole day long. First by Mulvey Star, yeah. then by Frances Dejou, then by Jumbo Visma. I mean, man, I'd going to be impressive to to look at the numbers that those guys were were putting out for that entire stage yeah absolutely absolutely well should we hear from the superfan seems about that time it's time for superfan hey bobby hey gus what a stage the gc guys are starting to to really show up explain the makeup of a good gc rider to me you know we've seen strong time trialists train in the mountains and drop weight to become viable gc threats and we've also seen great climbers work on their TT abilities in order to evolve into GC contenders. It's got to be much more than that, though. From a coaching standpoint, tell me about the attributes and the lesser-known qualities that make, a, make up a good GC rider. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Super fan. Well, first and foremost, I'd have to say that a GC rider, a good GC rider, it all starts with that, that mental ability to stay switched on and focused for the duration of the race in this case you know 21 days you're not going to be on the front foot all the time but you have to use your team be smart conserve your energy stay healthy stay away from crashes and yeah you can't miss those splits like some of those guys did but in the tour it definitely boils down to the gc guys are the guys that can climb and then can at least defend their position in the time trial. So it's a lot of time, a lot of effort. You know, you're going out and you're reconning these stages before, before the race. The staff is, you know, paying a lot of attention to you. You're looking at your equipment to make sure that you're not even bringing one extra gram up those big climbs. So more than, you know, getting down to the nuts and bolts of the actual training, I think that that mental ability to focus for that long is what really separates those those GC riders, the best GC riders. And for me, another really important thing is your support staff. You know, the communication that you have not only with your teammates, but with the guys in the car. The tactics, you know, the planning, the logistics guy, everything that saves you energy. You know, we're always talking about the guy in the yellow jersey or the guy that wins the stage. He's the one that, you know, gets to celebrate. But there is so much work that goes into all those training camps, all those recon missions, you know, looking out, driving in front of the race to make sure that they are able to feed back information to those guys. And that all makes that that GC leader a little bit more comfortable. But you're right. There's definitely different ways of leading a team. Uh, my, my favorite way was with with sympathy and, and empathy rather than, you know, kind of like that iron fist. But you know, throughout history, we've seen, you know, different characters emerge as, as leaders. And this leads us on nicely, actually, um, what, you, what you were kind of touching on there to, to today's theme. Or how is the role of a, of, of a leader different to the helper? Obviously, they're two very different roles. And you've been in both positions, so you can kind of talk on both sides. I guess first thing, and you, you sort of, you, you answered it there, was what makes a good leader? What process is that when you step up, you know, like, can you kind of talk about the first time you really put yourself out there and when you're like, okay, I'm, I'm the team leader or you were given that responsibility? Like, how did you kind of find that? Yeah, I went from, I think when you get into the pros, you're automatically a helper. Like very, very few guys mm -hmm. jump in, even, even guys, you know, that young Belgian kid. Um, Remy. Yes, exactly. Even him, you know, the potential next Eddie Merckx has to step in and, and has to yeah. kind of earn their stripes a little bit. 
the biggest difference, I think, obviously, between a leader and a domestique is the salary. You know, more money, more problems, more money, yeah. more stress. And there are certain guys, uh, David Moncoutier, for example, a very good French climber, he was very happy getting paid a normal salary. And one time they came up to him and said, you know, we're going to triple your salary and you're going to be the leader of the team. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that money. I don't want that pressure. Just pay me what you've been paying me. And I'm going to be either sitting caboose or attacking off the front, winning mountain yeah. stages in the tour in the Vuelta. He was probably the only guy I've ever heard in history that turned down tripling <laughs> his salary. But yeah, um, that mental ability to deal with that stress and those expectations is, is quite intimidating. And he was one of those guys that was wise enough to not take that responsibility and enjoyed his career a lot more. Uh, you know, throughout history, you see guys switch teams, get paid a lot more money, and then all of a sudden the grass isn't greener mm -hmm. on the other side. And, you know, they got more money, but they got more problems. They're not clicking with the team. They're not clicking exactly. with the staff. And yeah, I went from helper to leader, back to helper to leader, back to helper. And then, and you know, it, it, was, it was a crazy up and down career that I had. It's, it's part of that team dynamic. You don't want to say the leader is the highest paid guy on the team, but often that's the case. So those lead, I think a good leader is that one by leads by, who leads by example. Uh, he's in the bus. He's not, you know, sitting in the back of the bus. He's sitting in the front of the bus, hanging out with his teammates, really getting them behind him. Mark Cavendish is a, is a great example of that. Uh, but leading with a calm and cool demeanor, I think that's super important. You have to show appreciation for those teammates and the staff because, man, they, they're doing everything for you. And I think that really helps the entire morale of the team. And especially when you come through with the goods at the end of a, of a big objective, there's not a better feeling in the world. And let's talk about the different types of helpers, moving on to helpers now, because, you know, it's pretty... I feel like it's not it's doing a bit of a disservice in saying there's leaders and then there's helpers because there's a big spectrum in each of those but for argument's sake but what type of you know let's kind of break break down the helpers and and what are each of these people's roles Yeah I think it's 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 quite a unique situation because there's there's helpers who are you know great riders in their own right and then you almost have those deluxe helpers those guys that you know Greg Van Avermaet is a perfect example. You know, he's in the classics as a leader. He's Olympic champion. And then in a, in a race like the tour, he, if his, if they had a GC hope, you could guarantee he'd be up there putting, putting the hammer down in the crosswinds and helping as much as he could get bottles and whatnot. Mm. But I think that every rider has to find their niche in the Peloton. And yeah, the leaders almost have it easy because they'll, they're obviously the best, the most talented they can change teams and still kind of keep that hierarchy. But there's a lot of guys out there that make a very solid career, 10, 12, 15 years, and we don't even know their names. But the team, teammates and the staff, the DSs, those, those guys have made themselves indispensable. And, and that's the trick, right? You kind of have to find, hey, am I a classics rider? Am I a time trialist? Am I a, a GC rider or a climber? And if you're not in that podium potential of, of either of those categories, you have to find your niche. And there's, there's been guys throughout history that have definitely done that. The examples of these, so we've got the classics helpers, we've got the climbing helpers, 
hybrid helpers. How is a team sort of built around these helpers? Like if you're going to the Tour de France and you're Ineos, like how many classics helpers are they bringing? How many climbing helpers are they bringing? What sort of hybrid riders? Like how are you building out a team of helpers and how many do you need? Like do you need eight climbers or do you well, need I, a mix? I think it definitely what? depends on the race, the parkour, and the objective. So the most important thing for any helper is that they need to be there to make their leader's life a little bit easier. You know, fetching bottles, sitting out in the wind all the time, uh, doing proper pacing on the climbs. That's super important because sometimes you get these guys mm -hmm. that uh, get up there and, you know, new guys that want to impress their leader and they actually wind up going too hard. So you have to have good communication within the entire team, but those, those helpers have to listen to the GC guy. And there's often times where the GC guy, you know, has to yell to his helper to, to slow down. But I think the main thing that makes a helper indispensable is just that, that relationship that he has with the leader and how he fits in with the other guys. But we do have to remember that in order to get into the pro peloton period, you have to be a very small minority, like, you know, the top 3% of the world's population of cyclists. So these guys are... Are, are definitely great cyclists in their own right, but you know the way their talents are, the, the team that they're in, or the race that they're doing, that's when they have to kind of slot in there somewhere. And what's it like asking, you know, being the leader and kind of having the command of your team? Like, what's that pressure like and what's that situation like, you know, taking on that responsibility and actually being out in the road and being like, okay, this is how we're gonna do it. Can you, can you sacrifice your chance for me? Yeah, when, when the form is good and the confidence is high, the ambience is off the charts, it's, it's almost easy. It's fun. But the problem is when you are the leader and you're not at the top of your game and you're still asking these guys to do stuff for you every day, that mm -hmm. gets difficult. And there, there's some guys out there that can you know, pass the torch and you know, just leave ego out of it and and give that responsibility to somebody else but it's it's not easy no, yeah exactly right and that's the thing right when you're when you're falling apart like as we saw you know there's some some big leaders today were distanced who well i mean nairo quintana like had his team on the front roman bardet day, so. roman bardet imagine what he's going through right now and he's going to be exactly leaning on right. his, he had his whole team back there with him today yeah and he's going to be leaning on his teammates and they have to keep him motivated. They have to keep his head in the game. Because if he loses the plot, you know, they, they lose everything. Hopefully he can come back and, and win a stage. And, you know, that's another real, um, I guess, attribute to a leader is, yeah, these guys are human beings. They're not robots. They're going to have bad days. They're not going to be able to peak on at, at exactly the right time. But we saw it a little bit with Nibali today, right? He had some bad days, but then he threw caution to the wind and said, hey, I'm going to go out and win this stage. I guarantee mm. he got a lot of respect for his teammates for doing that. And that's what Bardet has to do. He has to rebound. He needs to refocus, reset an objective, and, and come away with something. Because they built this whole year around him. The whole team is built around him. And he needs to, to show them something. But man, it's, it's hard. The, when, when you get knocked down and it, in the world's biggest race live on tv you're you're feeling that pressure you're feeling that salary that you're you're getting every month yeah. for sure 
Absolutely. And I think that was a nice mention of Nibali there because, as you said, you know, copped a lot of criticism earlier in the tour for n- not being, you know, in, in contention for the win. And he bounced back today and went on the attack. But not only went on the attack, but was smart. He didn't just go on a rampage, you know. When he realized it wasn't going to work out, he just went back to the group, let the group slide by, save the energy and try again. And, and I think that's what Bardet needs to do as well is, is not just go on the attack for, you know, attacking's sake. But be smart, you know, he's evidently still a classy bike rider and can potentially pick up a stage later on in the tour. So we'll look for that. Who are the best guys you've ridden for? Yeah, I was pro for for 16 years and um, got to ride with a lot of really, really good guys. Um, I say the one that jumps off the page was was Lance back in the Tour de Pont in 1996. I remember basically being that warm body on the front from day one all the way to the end and, and him coming through with the goods and winning. That was a fantastic feeling. Um, yeah. Vandenbroek, when he won Liege Bastogne Liege in 1999, that was, yep. that was quite an honor. Um, my, my friend and old neighbor on the Cote d'Azur, Vinokurov, him winning Paris-Nice and Tour de Suisse and all the races that he won, that, that was one of the guys that you could really, because you were a f- close friend and neighbor and training partner, you could definitely go deeper for, for a guy like that. Um, rode for, for Basso, for Sastra in the 2004-2005 tours in, in the Giro mm-hmm. in 2006. And one of, the, one of the best parts for me of guys that I got to work with, for was, was Jens Vogt, you know, very good friend of mine. And when he won the Tour of Germany, that was so great because he won the Tour of Germany the year that they finished up on this Austrian mountain pass. I mean, a mega, mega pass. I think it was 2,600 meters up there. And he was in the yellow jersey, and great riders, great climbers. I think Levi was one of them. Uh, a couple other guys, Toschnig. They, they distanced him, and he somehow, when they kind of got to the top, he was able to come back on and actually won the stage, a mountaintop huge climb. I remember that. And him, him winning that day and him winning his, his national tour and being a part of that, that, that was super special. Yeah. I actually remember that race. And that's a, that's, that's a high caliber list. You've been, uh, you've been in the service of some, of some pretty remarkable, uh, cyclists and, and some people who have really changed the sport. What, um, what do you do when you got to ride for someone that you don't get along with? It's a job at the end of the day, right? It's a job. It's a job. And when the directions come over to the radio or in the team meeting, you just, you just got to do it. But like I said before, I could dig a little bit deeper for guys like Jens than mm. I could for some of the other guys that maybe I didn't have that, that great um, relationship with, personal relationship with. And then going on, like we hear quite a bit nowadays about there being a lack of respect within the bunch and, you know, kind of no sort of camaraderie or sort of bonding together between teams those leaders obviously you know respect each other and have a respect between teams does that carry over you know do certain people in the group um have have an aura have like a presence that is respected by the other riders you know you got to remember the team dynamic you know it's a family and it kind of is us against them and Mm -hmm. in a normal situation everyone would be buddies. I mean, there was, there was guys that on the bike, I didn't like at all. Richard Verank was, was one of them. Like I just, I didn't get him, but you see him 
away from the race, especially now, he's actually not that bad of a guy. So you really do <laughs> listen to the rumors a little bit and those isolated incidences that you may have with a certain rider during the race is under pressure when everyone's like totally just just manning up and, and egos involved and you're saying and doing things that you normally wouldn't do. But then you see them at the airport after the race or you go out on a training ride and you run into them and you say, gosh, you know, this this guy's not so bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 quite a but that that respect definitely has to be there between within the team. If it's not that team's yep. morale is never going to be anything worth anything. But you look at Decoinic Quick Step and the way that those guys work for each other. And even when we had Philippe Gilbert, who wasn't selected for the tour, he was very disappointed. He can imagine how happy he is. And that, that wolf pack mm. mentality that they've created there is breeding success. And, you know, man, if, if I'm a team out there, um, imitation is the biggest form of flattery. And I would try to promote that sort of thing. We had very much that same spirit at CSC. And mm -hmm. we won a lot of races as well. If you're not getting along with your teammates or respecting each other, you're not going to be successful in this sport. Last question that I've got for you on, on, on the topic. MVP helper in this year's race. Oh, that's an easy one. I would say Casper Askreen. He has yeah. been phenomenal. And then to get a top 10 in the time trial yesterday after all the work that he's done. And then a close second is young David Godou from Francis de Joux. Yeah. He was very, very good on Planche de Belfi. He was super today. So yeah, those two guys yeah. are definitely standing out as, as mega MVP helpers of this year's edition of the Tour de France. Nice one. Should we, should we have a little look at tomorrow's stage and kind of talk about it's another big mountain day. It's going to be hard, uphill, finish. How's it going to play out? And like, what's, you know, what a team's going to be looking to do basically yeah you know you get through one mountain day and then have this one backing it up you you gotta you gotta keep going and with the the stage tomorrow from Foix de Prada Albi 185 kilometers it's longer much longer than today so mm. this has been a really hard couple days they have the rest day coming up on Monday so you know you're gonna have to just suck it up and, and go all in but uh yeah we have one category two, um, what, three category ones tomorrow. So, mm. and they come quite at the end of the race. So we have the first category two climb after 60.5. Then we have the sprint at 93.5. And then the climbs come in pretty quick succession, up, down, up, down, up, down. And they're, they're not massive. They're category one. They're not horse category. But, you know, that cumulative fatigue is definitely setting in and, I think we're going to see a little bit different stage than today, tomorrow. I think we're going to see some, some long, you know, haymakers, some, some breakaway attempts, some, some of those guys that lost some time today getting up in the front and trying to make up for it. But, um, yeah, there's blood in the water. When you see the defending champions struggle, you're going to want to put him under pressure. And one thing that we've seen this year, two things stand out. Ineos have not really had to do that much on the front. And luckily for them, because they don't seem to have that same horsepower that they've had in the past. So there, there's going to be teams taking advantage of the situation. You know, they're, they're going to definitely take on board what happened today, what they saw today, and, and really start to, to, to you know, chip away at the armor a little bit of the guys in front of them. And, 
Garrett Thomas has a big old target on his back because now, now they know that he's not as good as he was last year. And it's up to him to, to take that all on board and really come back and show, show them that he is defending champion of the Tour de France tomorrow. And that's it, right? We've seen every single GC guy have one fault in, in throughout this tour. You know, we've seen one moment where they've presented weakness, whether that was, you know, missing the split or just being found out at one point physically. So there is no that's what I'm really looking forward to tomorrow is today showed us that it's it's it is wide open and there's no you know, aside from Alaphilippe, there's no one guy that's looking like they're under control and they've got it all uh and they've got it all kind of you know sorted out so with that in mind who's your pick for tomorrow man i have a feeling that there's going to be a breakaway up the road and one of the gc guys that lost some time is going to get in there so i'm gonna go with richie port for tomorrow i think that he needs to to take a chance and go for broke salvage something because he lost a lot of time today but you know hopefully that was just maybe him going a little bit too hard in the time trial and he'll rebound tomorrow and that's it right a lot of a lot of tired legs after the time trial evidently everyone had to go deep i'm gonna go with nibali i think uh i like i like that uh your prediction that it suits a, a breakaway and i i watching him today he was there but like i said he when he knew it wasn't going to work he just sat up and came back so yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with nibali for tomorrow Okay, the question of the day. Will Julian yeah. Alaphilippe hold on again on the second consecutive uphill mountain finish to the yellow jersey? Mate, look, I'm, I, I have to say yes now because, you know, I backed him today uh, to keep that jersey, but I, pr- I probably wouldn't have two days earlier. Um, and I'm just going to have to go the whole way with him. I'm, 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 he's an exciting bike rider. He's a great yellow jersey. I think it's great for the race. And... Uh, you know, long live Julian Alaphilippe. I'm going to agree with you today. Yesterday, I thought that uh, he, he would lose it, but the way that he climbed today was just very calm. Um, this guy's dangerous. He's not going to lose the, the GC lead tomorrow. Yeah, I think it's going to be a hard fight to wrestle that jersey from him. Green jersey, um, one sprint point. Do you think Sagan's going to go into that break? He's kind of got that wrapped up now, right? Yeah, we saw him do that today. I don't know if he wants to expend that that sort of energy day after day after day, but with the yeah. rest day coming up, you never know. But that's the reason why he's soon going to be crowned the seven-time champion of the green jersey is because he's the only guy, the only guy that has green jersey aspirations that can make that sort of effort and survive those mm-hmm. sort of climbs. Today, he got a little bit unlucky. Uh, it looked like he was going to be there. He was there halfway up the Salor and then when Wellens went, kind of kind of dropped back. But he still got those ninth place points. So, yeah, I think this is, this is Sagan's jersey to lose. And the only way that he's going to lose that is if he has some, you know, unfortunate incident or sickness. We saw the white jersey switch off mass back to Bernard today. So I think, yeah, I think that'll probably stay the same tomorrow. And then the mountains point, Wellens, is he going to go on the attack? Again tomorrow, you think? Oh, man, I think if, if, he, <laughs> if he does, he's got to be pretty careful because he's definitely been putting out some energy in this first week of the tour as well, you know. But um, he's got a good lead in that category. He's, mm. But, you know, Pinot is, is getting closer. And 
points mean prizes, and jerseys are very important to these teams. If you can be on the podium in Paris with one of the four jerseys or the Team GC, that's, that's massive, right? And with the climbs Absolutely. that are coming after the rest day, especially later in the, in the final week, a guy like Pinot can just be snatching those up left, right, and center, you know, because he's going to be vying for the win on top of those, those horse category climbs. So I think Wellens does need a little bit more padding. So, yes, I yeah. do believe he needs to be in the break tomorrow and, and just totally profit from the rest day. Nice. Well, with that, Bobby, I think that about wraps the show up. All right. Thank you, everybody, to listening. Thanks for the support. As I said at the beginning of the show, we are killing it in the, uh, in the cycling podcast world. So keep listening. Keep spreading the word. Keep supporting us. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Head on over to velonews.com for all of your Tour de France info as well as the show as well. Um, and if you want to get in touch, as I said, superfan at velonews.com. Shoot us an email with feedback, questions, whatever you want. Or you can reach out to Bobby at bobby.julik on Instagram or myself at thatisgus on Instagram. Guys, thanks so much, Bobby. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on.